0: Thanks for tuning in to The Archive, brought to you by the Mail Tribune. I'm Melissa Corman, and I'll be sharing the news with you from 100 years ago in the splendid city of Medford, and Jackson County at large, in 1918. Today, a call goes out to the women of Jackson County, sugar is being further rationed, and a regional couple with hearts of gold are growing a grand generation of men. I've got all these stories and a few more for you, so pull up a seat, get comfortable, and we'll get right to it. Three inches of snow fell at Crater Lake and the surrounding vicinity July 24th, something unusual for this time of year. The novelty did not cause much inconvenience to tourists at the resort and, in fact, was more enjoyed than deplored especially by the Southern California tourists present. Our local Home Guard is committed to doing their bit, and they are going well and beyond their duty, offering military training to -to soon-to-be Sammies. In pursuance to instructions from the War Department in Washington, D.C., advising that young men who are in the draft age and soon to be called to the colors, should get all the military training possible before their call comes. It was unanimously voted by the members of Company F, Oregon State Militia of Medford, last evening to issue an invitation to such men who may be called. To meet with the Medford Company on Wednesday and Friday evenings of each week at 7.30 o'clock, and officers will be provided to give them instruction in military tactics. I have received word here that the government wants at least 10 girls from Jackson County to train as nurses. Jackson County has been called upon to furnish 10 young women to join the US Student Nurse Reserve and hold themselves in readiness to train for service as nurses. Throughout the country at large, the call is for 25,000. Mrs. E. N. Warner, County Chairman of the State Council of Defense, has the enrollment in charge and anyone interested may hand their names to her or to Miss Elizabeth Putnam at the Red Cross or to Miss Robinson, the librarian. There will be three methods of enrollment. First those engaging to hold themselves in readiness until April 1st, 1919. Second, those desiring to become candidates for the Army Nursing School. And third, those willing to accept either Civilian Training School or the Army Nursing School. The government hopes a majority will enroll for both. The call is for women between the ages of 19 and 35. Intelligent, responsible women of good education and sound health are wanted. The pick of the country. A college education is a valuable asset, and many hospitals will give credit for it. Credit will also be given for a special scientific equipment or for preliminary training in nursing, such as that is given in special courses now being conducted in various colleges and schools. Some schools, on the other hand, do not even require a full high school education. At present, every woman who completes satisfactorily her training in any accredited school is eligible for service as an army nurse at the front and stands a chance of being assigned to duty abroad. At the same time, she will be qualified to earn her living in one of the most noblest professions open to women. It should be remembered furthermore that her usefulness will begin not when she graduates from the training school, but as soon as she enters it. Practical nursing work is part of the work of every training school, and the student nurse is not only learning to serve, but serving her country from the outset. The student nurse gets her board, lodging, and tuition free at practically every training school and in most cases receives a small remuneration to cover the cost of books and uniforms. After graduating, she has an earning capacity of from $100 to $300 a month. Private duty nurses now receive an average of from $100 to $120 a month, together with board while on duty. Institution nurses from $90 to $250 a month together with board, lodging, and laundry, and public health nurses from $100 to $250 a month without maintenance. There is no danger of the earning capacity of nurses being lowered after the war ends, on account of the great number who will then be qualified for the profession. The country will need all the nurses that can be trained, not only during the war, but after it, especially for reconstruction work. Even if the war ends within three years, every student nurse will be able to complete her training and will be needed. Anyone desiring further information may secure the same by communicating with Mrs. E. N. Warner. Hope you don't have much of a sweet tooth. (laughs) I sure do. But we all have to make sacrifices during this time of war. The Food Administration has announced that there will be a cut in sugar rations. Lord, help us sugar hounds! The new sugar consuming rules go into effect August 1st, 1918, by which family consumption is to be reduced to 2 pounds per person per month instead of the 3 pounds per person, as has been the rule for several weeks. The restaurants and hotels, according to the new rule, can only serve two pounds to every 90 individual meals instead of three pounds to every 90 as heretofore. It is hoped by so doing to effect a saving in non-essential lines and supply sugar enough to provide each family a sufficient quantity to can fruit and vegetables for the coming year. Grocers will please notify the Food Administration when in need of certificates for August allotment. Families are only allowed 25 pounds of sugar for the season's canning, unless they get a special permit. The administration is very anxious to avoid putting the country on a ration basis per month, and it is hoped that everyone will voluntarily cooperate with the administration to avoid doing this by not using more than their two pounds per person per month, and supplementing with caro, maple syrup, and honey. While I'm on about sugar rations, it's important to remember that we need to maintain our health. And we can do this most easily by eating a balanced diet. A health expert declares that milk is needed to sustain your health. It is an important article of any healthy diet. That 25% of the people of Jackson County are going without milk because of the present high prices at a serious sacrifice to their health and the health of their children was the statement made by Miss Ann McCormick at the Page Theater Tuesday evening, July 30th. The average per capita consumption of milk in the United States is less than one-half cup at the present times. Miss McCormick said she urged the consumption of milk because it was one of two perfect foods with all the necessary elements of a well-balanced diet. The other perfect food is eggs. Although milk is higher in price than it has been, when its food value is considered, it is still one of the cheapest foods and should be a part of every person's diet, but particularly the diet of children. During the war, especially when the country is losing its manpower, It is a matter of patriotism and common sense to provide for the next generation. Statistics show that one in 14 men in the trenches is killed while one in seven of all children under one year succumbs to disease. This condition must be changed and it can only be changed by a proper diet. The ideal diet is made up of milk, eggs, and some green vegetable malnutrition not being necessarily an insufficient amount of food, but an insufficient amount of the right kinds of foods. Most of the buttermilk from the local dairies goes to waste, while there is a poor market for cottage cheese, both being cheap and very nutritious foods. Sugar, flour, tobacco, gasoline, shoes, and other articles have advanced in price yet we still continue to use them. But milk, which is worth more to the health and well-being of the family than any of these, is omitted from the diet. Dr. McCollum of John Hopkins University and one of the most noted food authorities in this country has recently discovered in milk certain growth-producing substances not found in other foods. Miss McCormick illustrated her talk with lantern slides, and the audience, though small, paid very close attention. There was a fair bit of excitement in town this week as girl hikers are here on a walk from Seattle to Frisco. Swinging down towards this city, the Mrs. Peggy Wolf, Mae Daly, and R.E. Holloway, hikers from Seattle, reached Medford last night. Tanned and gay, the feminine tramps with 10-pound sacks strapped to their backs presented the ideal picture of bubbling youth and health. They spent the night here and expect to reach the California line before stopping to pitch camp tonight. Three weeks on the road, the girls have made remarkable progress for pedestrians, and they say the lifts given to them were few until they reached the mountains. Unlike most tramps of the gentler sex, these nomads travel without fear of the villain that lurks at the side of the road, and carry no weapons more dangerous than flashing eyes and beguiling smiles. In all their jaunt, they have not encountered even one tramp, they said, and only one man that swore. People of Oregon, with their friendly attitude, have completely won their hearts, they said, Relying on fruit picking and other forms of outside work, the girls have set Los Angeles as their goal. Though reared within the walls of the University of Oregon, the finer arts of the feminine existence do not appeal to them. The great out of doors is their only attraction. They have toiled in the black cap yards of Newburgh, and they have washed dishes for troop trains at Roseburg, all for the good of the cause. While we enjoy living in relative safety here in the Rogue River Valley, it is imperative that we not take our peace for granted. The police have to a warning to autoists to look after their property. Chief of Police Hitson calls attention to the carelessness of many Medford auto owners who leave their cars stand all night on the street in front of their homes or on business streets with new tires in the racks and robes and other valuable property on the seats. For some time now, under the chief's instructions, the night police have been taking a record of the numbers of all such cars, with a view to making proper comment whenever something has been stolen from a car, and the owner comes wild-eyed and indignant to the police station to report his loss, and comment on the lack of vigilance by the police. Anyone who leaves his car stand on the street all night, unlocked, with extra tires loose in the racks and other valuable stuff on the seat, simply tempts thieves, said Chief Hitson. (music) While our men are over there, the next generation of boys is growing up, and just like any generation, this one has got a few rough edges— some of the boys being a little more rough and tumble down on their luck than society would like. But a couple in Lebanon has made it their life's work to grow up these boys into fine young men down on the Big Brother farm. The Big Brother farm down near Lebanon, Oregon, where the boys are the principal crop of the season's planting, has just begun its fifth year. The work which Mr. and Mrs. Chester A. Lyon have been carrying on there since 1912, has passed the experimental stage and has become an actual and important factor in the state of Oregon. During the first year, they took 12 boys on the farm. The next year, they had 20. The following year, they increased the number to 40. In 1917, they had 50 boys. And this year, they are planning on caring for 60 boys. They have dedicated their lives to the work of reclaiming these unfortunate boys who have already been caught in the toils of the law or are headed the wrong way from lack of proper training. While doing settlement work in the East, Mr. and Mrs. Lyon conceived the idea of establishing a farm someplace in the West where they could gather together delinquent youths and teach them how to become good, useful men. So when it became possible for them to purchase this farm, they selected a 40-acre tract near Lebanon, and from the juvenile courts and the streets, they gathered their boys and took them to the farm for the summer. In the winter months, they found good homes for the boys and kept in touch with them, advising and encouraging them, keeping them interested, and looking after their needs. At the present time, they have over 100 boys on their waiting list. The surly, the unloved, the unfortunate, and the neglected children are understood at the Big Brother farm and in every case have responded to the training received there. While this training of delinquent boys is not any more important this year than it has ever been at other times, however, it assumes a new significance at this time as Oregon has been called upon for the best, the strongest, and the most fit of her young men. War's need has swept the state of her best, and it is important that these be replaced. Mr. and Mrs. Lyon are doing their bit, and it is a large bit too. By making men and useful citizens out of these waste bits of humanity, which otherwise would have been useless, and in many cases, a care and expense of the state. And they know how to do it. Their interests and hearts are in their work. They solicit aid from neither the state nor individuals. For the Big Brother Farm is not an institution. It is a private place, owned and controlled by two people who give their all, money, time, and energy to molding the souls and minds of homeless, misunderstood boys. The instruction is personally given, and each boy's case is given careful study and his disposition taken into consideration. There are no set rules to be followed, no punishment to be feared. The honor system of government is applied on the farm, and while this system has failed to a certain extent where adults are concerned, Mr. Lion has proved that it is a wonderful success when used in the training of youth. Our boys are taught to do right because they want to do it, not because they have to, said Mr. Lion. Everything is run with military precision from the time the boys are awake at 5.30 in the morning until they are in bed at 9 p.m. But it's not all work at the farm. There's wholesome play, reading, and interesting hikes over the country. There is a swimming pool and the boys are taught to swim. Mr. Lyon is a scoutmaster of the Lebanon Boy Scouts and the Boy Scout work is taught at the farm. Some people may get the impression that Mr. Lyon procures these boys to work his farm in the summer and that he gains from their labor. This is not true. In the first place, the farm is not entirely self-supporting It is large enough to give ample space for open-air living, and each boy has his own tent. There are gardens and fields whose importance lies not in what they yield, but in what they furnish in the way of instruction for general farming to the boys. Man is a land animal, said John Stuart Mill, and what he meant by that trite saying is exemplified down at the Big Brother farm. For there is a pleasure in planting and watching things grow, and it is easier to reach the heart and mind of a boy when he is living among the things he has planted and cultivated. Yes, the Big Brother farm has ceased to be an experiment. Every boy who has been there has responded to the training. Many of them now hold positions of honor and trust. There has never been a fight on the farm, and the boys look forward eagerly to returning there each summer. It is home to them, A home where they are loved and understood and guided. Not an institution where they are locked up with their own misery and left to let their bad habits grow into criminal tendencies. Not an institution where paid, disinterested men and women watch over them. But a home which love has founded for them and their kind, where they are never blamed for their misdemeanors, but always encouraged and rewarded their virtues well my friends that's all I've got for you this week thanks for listening remember these news stories have been brought to you by the Mail Tribune a weekly series featuring news items that were drawn from the archives of the Mail Tribune from 100 years ago you can find more stories like this in the Mail Tribune 100 column in the newspaper or online at mailtribune.com we also have bushels of other podcasts on a wide variety of topics. You'll sure want to check them out. And be sure to follow us. We're on Facebook, Instagram, Pinterest, Twitter, and YouTube. If you like this podcast or if something you'd like to share with me, please let me know in the comments or on Facebook. I would love to hear from you. Have a swell day and check back next week for more stories from the Archive.